There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Welcome to No Mere Mortals Cover to Cover series. The Cover to Cover series is a chronological journey through the moments in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation centered on the main character of Jesus Christ. In 2020, the Lord directed the start of the Cover to Cover series that originally began as weekly installments for Sunday morning youth teachings at a local church. In 2023, the Cover to Cover series will move to being a podcast series and Lord willing will continue to be weekly installments. God, we thank you for this time in your word this morning. And Lord, I just echo that prayer that, God, you would use me as a tool, that it would not be uh, the fumblings of some man, but, Lord, that your word would speak to us, that we would experience you through your word, by your spirit this morning. God, that we would experience you, experience your love, know more about who you are and who you have made us to be. Lord, would you push aside all distractions and would you just be so very present in this place this morning? In your son's name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Again, as we've been making our way through the book of Numbers, uh, the Hebrew word uh, was Bimbadar, again, in, in the wilderness is what we've been looking at. And where we left off last week, if you guys remember, we left off with basically the majority, almost the whole of the nation of Israel, instead of taking hold of God's promise, is there are two men who said God has given us a promise and we can take hold of it, and the rest of the people wanted to kill them. They were ready to kill the messengers of hope and victory. And we saw that the way they, that they got themselves to this place is because we've been seeing through chapter after chapter, really all the way back in Exodus, that they have been complaining and ungrateful. We see as they began to move away from the presence of God and pursue their fleshly appetites that led to this moment of disobedience and faithlessness. And all of that surrounded and rooted in fear. We see that 12 spies were sent in. And again, as we looked in Deuteronomy, this wasn't even a God's original intent that God had said, I, I told you before, I gave this land to you, go in. And the people said, well, we need to, you know what, we need to figure out a, 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 the best way possible. We need to go scout the land. And here's something I just want to throw this out. We didn't touch on it last week. But I, let this be something that echoes throughout your guys' life and something to know about God's character. Truth is never afraid of someone challenging them and asking questions. Truth is never afraid for someone to say, hey, we need to look into that and go, you know what? You want to look into it? Here it is. And God is never afraid of earnest and honest questions. You're going to have moments in your life where you say, God, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. I'm questioning something here. And God is more than willing to say, it is literally an open book. Look, read, search, ask, and faith in him will always be that grounding root that shows that he is never afraid to have hard questions asked of him. And again, just in general, let that just kind of be something that kind of is a pinpoint for you. That when someone asks a question or asks, hey, we need to research this. We need, we need to look into it. Whether it's correct or not that they should be trusting or not trusting. Someone who's rooted in truth will say, you want to look? Go ahead and look. But as we see that as 12 spies went in, Ten of them came out and called God a liar. Ten of them came out and said, there are fortresses, there are fortified cities, there are the descendants of the Nephilim, there are the giants. We cannot do this. We are like grasshoppers. 
And we see the two men, Caleb and Jacob, come out and say, guys, there may be giants, but, but God promised us this land. Yes, we hear grasshoppers before it, it, them, but our God is so much bigger and more powerful than anything before us. And not by our might, but by his name, we have victory. What we saw last week is that true when we see these, these giants, these Nephilim, the offspring of spiritual rebellion, constantly in opposition to Yahweh and his children. And to know for you guys that when you follow the king, when you strive after him, and the closer you get to his domain, the giants will always show up. But as they should have remembered, as Caleb and Jacob knew, know that God is with you. He has gone before you, and by the cross of Jesus Christ, the war is won. The battle is over, and the victory is yours to share in with him. And so with that, we look at uh, Numbers chapter 14. We're going to pick up in verse 6, kind of back up just a little bit to where we left off last week. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out their land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them. So again, guys, here's the scene. Jacob and Caleb before the people. Again, you've got millions of people complaining, saying we, it would be better for us to die in the wilderness. And they stand up and they silence the whole crowd, tearing their clothes, saying God is with us. The enemy's protection is gone. They are like bread before us. We can take this by his strength. And they pick up stones to kill Caleb and Jacob. And in that moment, the presence of God descends on the tabernacle boom, shows up and God says, how long? How long will you continue to reject me? How long will you not believe me? Have, have I not been with you? Have I not shown you what I have done? Again, we, this takes us almost all the way back to Mount Sinai. Again, this 11-day this journey that they've taken from Sinai to this land. A year at Mount Sinai. A year from getting to Mount Sinai, building the tabernacle, getting the law. And remember back in Exodus chapter 23, as Moses was on the mount, receiving from God the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and what, what happened? He wasn't gone 40 days, 40 nights, and they build a golden calf. And they start to play around and engage in demonic worship. And in Exodus 23, verses 20 and 21, God had said, before... Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. But beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. So after that moment, God says, I am sending the angel before you. Again, as Jacob and Joshua picked up in that land, guys, their protection the spiritual forces by which they receive their power have been scattered because the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ himself, is in the land and has removed them. 
He said, believe and trust in him. He's gone before you. The victory is already won. You just have to, by obedience, step into that victory. And God had told them before, go, trust. But he said, don't provoke him. Don't reject him because it's not going to go well. And again, we told you even back in Exodus, the spoiler, because that's exactly what we're seeing take place here. Numbers 14, 12, God says, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. So this disinheritance that's being talked about, God says, all the way back from Abraham, I have a promised inheritance for you. I have a promise to give you this inheritance. And the people say, forget you, we don't want it. And God says, then it's, then it's not yours. You don't want the inheritance. I'm not going to force it on you. So there's this disinheriting that's going on, not initiating by the Father, but by those who say, no, we're good. We don't want it. We want something else. And if, again, this sort of echoes of familiarity as God is telling Moses again, that I'm just going to wipe these people out and start over with you, that should also ring back to the golden calf. As Moses was on the mountain with God and God telling him exactly what the people were doing. And God says in Exodus chapter 13, verse 10, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and I will make of you a great nation. And if you remember even then, as God on the mountain said, hasn't been 40 days, 40 nights. They make a golden image. They, they, they had already heard the Decalogue, already heard the Ten Commandments. Oh God, we're going to do everything you say. 40 days, 40 nights go by. Well, I don't know where Moses is. Hey, let's make a golden calf and start playing around and, you know, go back to the ways of Egypt. And God says, I'm going to start over. And what does that prompt in Moses to do? To start, God, remember your character. Remember your promise. If you guys remember all all of that, that God working in Moses to pull out of him to understand who God is who God has declared himself to be in his promises. And what does Moses have to stand on? When the circumstance doesn't look good, he goes, but I know your word and I know your character. And here again, Moses interceding says, then the Egyptians will hear it. For by your might, you brought these people up from among them and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face. And your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill these people as one man, because again, it would be that easy for God to do. Millions of people, and he says, I, you could take them out in a moment as God against one man. And again, God, let this be cemented in your life for when you face trials. Because when God says he's with you, it doesn't matter if it's one or a million plus. They are outnumbered against God. This is something that Jacob understood. Caleb understood. David will come to understand when he is face to face with his giant. That when God is on your side, it will not matter what the enemy's forces are against you. They are severely outpowered and outnumbered. Then the nations which you have heard your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land, he swore to give them Therefore. He killed them in the wilderness. And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means let the guilty, or he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, 
just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. And again, as you see what Moses is calling on, it's like, Lord, you, you've spoken your character. I know your word. I want you guys to see this, what God will do to draw that out of people is to see what someone is deserving of. And that truth is so true. Moses doesn't deny it. It is true. They are guilty, but you're a merciful God. He appeals to his mercy here. Just as he did, again, back in Exodus when he said, remember the promise that you made to Abraham, Isaac, to Israel, your servants. And even then, what did God say? As Moses standing on the promise of God's word and character, God says, now you've got it. And he relents. And here, once again, after all this time, of people who reject him, Moses says, show them mercy. And I love, get the timing of this. They're having this conversation. God, forgive them. Verse 20, and the Lord says, I have pardoned. It was already done. Here's, here's Moses going, would you just forgive them? And God goes, I have. I want that to, to cement because again in this moment, you see God in his, his, his rightful judgment saying these people are deserving of death. And Moses comes along and says, but would you offer mercy? And he says, I have. The plan was already in action. The statement of judgment and truth there and the grace already baked into the entire scene. I have pardoned according to your word, the word of God's character. But truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Man, we look forward to that day. Verse 22, because all these men who have seen my glory and signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test now these 10 times and not heeded my voice. Now I'll say that that phrase was very interesting to me. As God says, as he's declaring, he's saying, of course, I am a God of mercy. I told you, long-suffering, patient. I have already pardoned. My glory is going to fill this earth. But these people, from Egypt to the wilderness, they have rejected me now these 10 times. And, and it's an interesting phrase because if you actually look from Exodus chapter 14 to the chapter we're in now, Numbers 14, you're going to come across 10 moments that you find. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 and 12, at the Red Sea where Pharaoh's army would destroy them. And they said, it would be better that we would have died in Egypt. Exodus chapter 15, when they found the bitter water, it would have been better that we died in Egypt. Exodus chapter 16, in the desert of sin, when they hungered and God provided the manna, it would have been better that we died in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 16, after they paid no attention to Moses concerning the manna until the morning, when again, they, God gave them, said, hey, don't keep it, Overnight, I'm going to provide for you every day. And they rejected his word again. Exodus chapter 17, at Rephidim, when they complained for water and, and the, it, the water flowed from the rock. Exodus 32 at Mount Sinai, as Aaron led the people into making that golden calf. In Numbers 11, when we began at Terebo, the people, it said, raged against the Lord. Numbers 11, uh, 4 through 34, again at Kibrath Havah, where they began grumbling in the moment with the quail. Uh, the quail. And now at the beginning of Numbers 14 again, when they had the promise of God, the inheritance before them, and when 
The circumstance didn't seem something that they understood. They rejected God's word. They allowed their circumstances to question God's character and his faithfulness to his word. Now, as much as those are interesting, others have, have, have done another tie to the 10 things. Very interesting. I think actually all of these are at play. 12 spies were sent in. How many gave a bad report? 10. So if it wasn't those 10 moments, you have 10 bad reports, 10 moments of being rejected. And how many times with Caleb and Joshua over and over saying, take hold the promise, and you had 10 times of people rejecting. But there's another one. There's another moment with that phrase, and and this phrase actually should pop up a little bit because it's a little intriguing. It says, these 10 times they have rejected me. See, back in Genesis chapter 37, sorry, 31 verse 7, a man by the name of Jacob had been working passionately because he loves a woman. And he worked for her father for seven years, and, and then there was a trick. And he worked, had to work another seven years. And then he wanted to, to grow his family and to move on. And his uncle Laban kept deceiving him and lying for him and changing. In Genesis chapter 31, Jacob says this to his wives, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times. God is invoking the language of Jacob here. Yes, there are these 10 moments. Yes, there is a 10 spies, but I believe this has much more to do with the character of the situation where here is God saying, I passionately have worked for you. Out of my love for you, I have worked and strived and you, like a deceiving liar, keep trying to change the rules of the game these 10 times. He puts the nation of Israel in the place of Laban, the deceiver and trickster, and himself in that passionate husband who works for his bride. Verse 23, They shall certainly not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me, but my servant Caleb, because he has different spirit in him and has followed me fully. This spirit, what was it about Caleb that was so different? It was faith faith. Now, I'm, I'm going to give credit where credit was, is due. First to the Holy Spirit, because I know he inspired Jonathan. But Jonathan gave a, a teaching once that, that he, he said a phrase that has stuck with me to this day. You can apply with it to everything you're going through. And so appropriate in this moment, that if your circumstances ever cause you to question God's character or God's word, you have misunderstood God's character, your circumstances, or God's word. And Caleb, that spirit that fills him in this moment is a spirit of faith, which Hebrews makes very clear to us. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Doesn't matter how many Bible verses you memorize. Do that. It's going to benefit you. It doesn't matter how many mission trips you go on. Do that. It will benefit you. It doesn't matter how many Oakdale rescue missions you help out with. Do that. It will benefit you but you will stand before God and only one thing will determine whether he is pleased or not. And it is how you have a relationship with him by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Continue on in verse 24. He says, I will bring into the land where he will inherit and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I've heard the complaints with the children of Israel make against me. 
Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do. The carcasses. Doesn't that sound like a Western word in here? The carcasses. He's talking about you're going to, out in the desert, you can see your yellow belly carcasses are going to end up in the ground. All of you who complained against me shall fail in the wilderness of all who have, all who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above. So something very, very apropos happens here. These 10 times. It would have been better if we died in Egypt. It would have been better if we died in Egypt. It would have been better if we died in the wilderness. And God goes, oh, you want to die in the wilderness? Okay. Turn around. Go back out to the wilderness because there your carcasses will be laid. You think it would be better to go out into the wilderness, out into chaos, instead of take hold of my promise? He is not a God who will put you in a headlock and say, love me. But instead, he is a God who passionately works and says, I have provided all of this for you. I've done the work. And I do it joyfully. But if you don't want it, there's the door. It's your choice. You want to reject him? You want chaos? He says, then chaos you shall live. That's why in Matthew chapter 7, Verse 21 and 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In the book of Revelation, there's this church church in Ephesus. It's, they have this amazing ministry going on. I mean, they're awesome in the community, justice abounding. They're a fantastic organization. And God gives them credit. He says, you guys are doing awesome. Prayer ministries, you guys are off the hook. But I have this against you. You left your first love. You made it all about doing the stuff and it had nothing to do with our relationship. You did all of this stuff and you had your back to me. You left your first love. How many will stand before him in that day? We came on Sundays. We were there on Wednesdays. We went on this trip. We did these things, and he'll have to look at you and say, apart from me, I never knew you. You did a bunch of awesome stuff. I'll give you that, but you left your first love. Now in this, there's a, another interesting, to that point, uh, and I'll just bring it up real quick here. Uh, but it's in this passage that not just myself, but others uh, bring up an issue called the age of accountability. You're not going to find that phrase in Scripture, by the way. But for many of us who turn to Scripture uh, to apply and, and have build a view of how we look at this world, this would be the passage where you should stand upon this thing called the age of accountability. Because something happens very interesting here. If you notice, what God says is, here's who's considered guilty. All the people who are old enough to have a responsibility in whether or not you took hold of the promise or not, every single one of you, except for Joshua and Caleb, who have the spirit of faith, every single one of you are guilty and will die in the wilderness. But everyone who is below this age of accountability, I'm not saying that you are sinless. I'm saying you are not held accountable or guilty. You had no responsibility in whether or not to take the land or not. 
And so this is where this idea of what, what's considered the age of accountability comes up as a worldview. And it's not a chronological thing. Now, this is my kind of personal view, but the age of accountability is the moment, and I believe this actually happens very young in a person's life, is, is the ability to recognize the general revelation of the Holy Spirit, as told by in Romans 1. We're told that man is without excuse, that you can look around the world, the creation, that at that moment when you can look around at the world around you and go, there is a God and I'm not it. The moment that you come into that place to understand that, that I am dead in my trespass and need a savior and go, I'm good. Again, this is not a chronological issue. This is simply just a moment of in that person's life when they are spiritually dead and they become guilty by just as these people refused and rejected God's promise that moment of accountability is when you stand accountable and responsible to take hold of the promise of God and you reject it and that is what is that unpardonable sin that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit to say I hear you I see your promise I'd rather go out into the wilderness and God says, you want to do it on your own? You think it would be better? You don't trust me? You don't trust my character? By all means, there you go. Now, I will say, I don't know that some, there are some in this world that will never enter into that state of being able to make that choice. And thus, they will not be held accountable. But with that, let's look at verse 30. It says, except for Caleb, the son of Jephun, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in. And they shall know uh, the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land. Forty days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. So, this comes up with another moment. Just give it to you guys. Um, for my internet sniping atheist friends out there. Oh, we got a contradiction here. It says 40. Deuteronomy says 38. What you're going to do, Bible boy? You go, okay. Well, read your Bible. The greatest commentary on Scripture is? Thank you very much. We've been going through. We've known that since they left Egypt to Mount Sinai to making it to this moment is just over a year. Then God says, hey, you're going to be in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. So you take 38, you add just over a year, he's going to bring them back up through a different point, and they're going to come across where they're going to have to cross Jordan, and they have to spend a little bit of time. There's a book that we're going to get into where Moses has to prep the people before they get into land. Take a rough guess about how long that takes. Oh, just under a year, a couple months. And so you take the travel time before, you take 38, you take the preparation, and what do you get? 40 years. So do we have a conflict? No. We have God very specifically saying, this was supposed to be an 11-day journey. I took you a year and a half to Mount Sinai. I gave you the promises. And now, what should have been just over a year, 11 days from Sinai to here, you're not leaving this wilderness until 40 years of wilderness travel has passed. There's a saying out there. I didn't come up with this, but I couldn't find out who did, but it's, I think it's a pretty good quote. 
It took God one day to get Israel out of Egypt. It's going to take him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. That's what the 40 years was about. Say, you rejected me. And for 40 years, he's going to remove the reliance and the thought of Egypt out of their hearts and minds. Verse 35, I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the men of whom Moses sent out to spy the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land. Those very men who brought an evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. So they don't get to go 38 days and die in the wilderness. God says, by the way, you 10 liars, you're gone. Drops them with the plague. Then Moses told these words to all the children of the people, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain saying, here we are. We will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. Okay, understand what just happened. God says, here's my promise. I've gone before you. God, we don't want it. God says, okay, well, when you reject my promise, it always leads to death, destruction, and chaos. So out into chaos you will go. You know what? On second thought, we think we'll go up into the land. Did, did you hear what I said? I said, you didn't choose to go by faith. You cannot do it by your own strength, so you're not going. I think we're going to try and take it. It's literally what's happening right now. Because again, let this be, you, you cannot overcome disobeying God with more disobedience. It doesn't happen. This would be a practical example. You disobey God, whatever your bent tends to be. You get called out on it. And you decide, you know what? It would be really bad. It'd be like a bad witness. I mean, I'm supposed to be like a Christian and whatnot. So I'll just lie about it. So you know, God doesn't look bad because of my sin. Guys, you cannot overcome disobedience with more disobedience. It will only make it worse. And in fact, verse 41, now Moses says, now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies. For the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned away from the Lord. It is impossible to please God without faith. Pharaoh and his army tried to cross the Red Sea that the nation of Israel walked through by faith, we were told. And what happened when they tried to walk the same path without faith? It swallowed them up. And I'm here to again remind you guys, it is not by works that we are saved. It is by faith. It is a gift of God. Through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians makes that clear. And here in this moment is that moment where people said, we see the promise of God, but now we're going to try and take it by our own strength as God is having to tell them that will not work. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. So even that, they said, we're, we're going to go up. And how did God say you should know which way to go? Cloud by day, fire by night. And God's making it explicitly clear. Not only is it disobedience, I didn't lead a march into the land. My presence has not gone before them. They are doing this all on their own. Then the Amalekites and the Kenites who dwelt in the mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. So they go up and they get the snot kicked out of them. It, was, it fails. 
And I want us to end this morning, turn one page if, if you're not there. I want you to just look at the first two verses of chapter 15. And as you look at that, again, I want you to see this. From Exodus 14 to Numbers 14, these 10 times, these 10 spies rejecting a passionate God who loves his people has done the work for his bride and they deceptively keep trying to change. They go, okay, well, God, why don't you do this? God, why don't you do this? You know, again, it's, it's those people who, you know, there's that story out there. Again, it's an it's illustrative story, but of the guy who, and maybe it would apply to with all the disasters we're seeing around the world right now, but a flood sweeps through a city and a man races to the top of his house and he's sitting on top of his house. And a big truck comes pulling up to the front house. Jump on, we're getting people out. God's going to save me. Truck dries off. Water rises. Boat pulls up. Jump in, we're getting everyone out. God's going to save me. Boat pulls away. Helicopter shows up. Throws the rope down. Grab on, we're getting people out. God's going to save me. Water rises. Man dies. Stands before God. What's the deal, God? I trusted you. I sent a truck, I sent a boat, I sent a helicopter. Did you need anything else? And so many times we have people who God says, I provided this, oh yeah, but what if you do this? Or now that you provided for me in this way, or we like to chalk things up to the coincidence factor. God, help me, giant truck pulls up. Well, what a coincidence, that can't be God. It's exactly what it is. But they've rejected him and his promises 10 times he has every right to wipe them out and just say, I'm done with this. And yet, here is his heart. You get to the end of this chapter because even after he told them, I'm not going into the land with you, it's going to be 40 years in the wilderness, they tried to go in without him and they got smacked around again. But then you get to chapter 15 and he says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when you have come into the land, you are to inhabit which I and giving you. See, chapter 15, which we're not going to end up covering, we'll just let you know, you guys can read it on your own, has to do with a lot of sacrifices, God reinstituting sacrifices. But where does he start off with? After all the rejection, after all the disobedience, what does he say to them? I'm faithful to my promise. And when you go into the land that I'm providing for you, he doesn't pull that promise away, but says, there's going to be discipline, but my promise is true. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 13 says this. This is a faithful saying. For we, if we have died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure... <laughs> 2 Timothy, Mike drops for us. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself not lessening the consequence for sin. Deserving of death, the intercessor appeals to God's mercy and grace. And as Jonah, as Jonah would end up saying, again, if you guys remember, Jonah called to Nineveh to, to, to announce judgment and after all that, when, when Jonah finally gets up smelling all fishy-like and skin nasty, shows up into the land, woe to you, God's going to take you out. And they say, maybe if we relent, maybe, maybe if we repent, maybe, maybe God will be gracious. And when God is gracious, what does Jonah say? 
Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm, a God who does not, as we read earlier in chapter, or verse 18, by no means clear the guilty. So how, God? How then can you not clear the guilty and still be merciful? Because Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A God who is faithful to his promise even when we are faithless. A God who loves you so much that even though you would disobey him, reject him, he says, I did the work for you. I have defeated the enemy. The battle is over. The victory is yours to share in by faith. You can choose which path you will take. The wide that leads to chaos or that narrow road, it's going to be difficult. People are going to hate you. You're going to stumble. But the end is everlasting peace with Jesus our Father, Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this time in your word today, Lord, to remind ourselves that anyone here who's struggling in disobedience or faithlessness, that your goodness is not based on our ability to earn your favor, but you have already gone before us and by the victory of your cross, you have made a mockery of the spiritual forces that would dare to face up against you. Father, I pray for anyone in this room right now who is struggling through any trial that feels burdened and wearied by the battles. They would look to you, their victor, their savior. God, to know that you have gone before them and you are with them. And Father, to know right now in this moment that no matter what obstacles would face them, that when they stand with you, they have all the power and all the victory that they need. In your son's name, amen. The Cover to Cover series is part of No Mere Mortal. The No Mere Mortal ethos derived from the biblically grounded and inspired work of C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory. You can find more No Mere Mortal content, including the Cover to Cover series, on our website at nomeremortal.org. Follow us on Twitter, Truth, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, and most major podcasting services. Subscribe, follow, like, comment, leave a review, and share. The music you've heard has been provided by Sicko. That's C-I-K-K-0. And you can find him at YouTube at Sicko's Beat Suck 797. My name is Bryce, and you are no mere mortal.